chapter 2. Good to be with you. Uh, I was gone last week and apparently missed a pretty stunning brag on Jesus night. Would y'all agree, those of you who are here? Yeah, yeah. And uh, the podcast is up there, so if you weren't here like me, then check that out and listen to people tell some of the stories about things that Jesus did in our lives in 2016, and so now here we are in this new year, and uh, wanting to begin, you know, together and and really uh, desiring to see us continue to to follow Jesus faithfully as a church, and uh, you know, and and talking with folks and and, and praying about uh, what does this year look like? Like where where are we at this point? You know, you kind of just do those natural assessments of things in your own life, and the church life is the same way. Um, kind of found myself back in this passage that uh, I preached through a couple years ago. We did, the elders did a series, uh, the elders and the interns did a series through the, the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, and uh, I kind of just found myself back in the one that I uh, was able to preach through, and, and really feel like God has something to say to us again, meeting us where we are as always. And so, there are, there are really three things that I want us to, to pay attention to tonight. And kind of from the beginning, you know, we've been, I kind of led us through some prayer about just listening to what he wants to say, that, that God has called this meeting together and he wants to speak to us. And so, uh, there are three things I hope that we can get from this text for this moment tonight, but also like looking ahead Toward the toward another year together as a church family, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you what they are off off the bat. So uh, get all the mystery out. Um, I want us to hear his encouragement. I want us to hear his honesty, and to hear his promise. His encouragement, his honesty, and his promise. Um, so let me read the read the whole letter here. Um, Starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent." Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. 
Now, before you go thinking that I'm about to just like drop the hammer on us as a church, I'm not. Okay, I don't think that this letter is like perfectly addressing where we are. Okay, I do believe that just like the whole Bible, that there are things that we can learn from what others have been through that God wants us to pay attention to. And so, to hear His encouragement, to hear His honesty, to hear His promise, it, it, we have to contextualize this. You know, a little bit. So if you're worried that I'm going to like tee off on us, I'm not. And uh, if you weren't worried about that and I just introduced a fear to you, then I quickly took it away. So uh, that'll be okay. These letters in Revelation are, are, these are letters written to very specific, like actual existing groups of people. Christians in seven of these cities in Asia Minor. These were very young congregations. They had not been around for very long. Uh, the church in Ephesus, it's probably been around for about 60 years at this point, which to a 10-year-old church plant seems like a long time, but, but really it's not that long. Uh, the gospel was still fresh. Uh, this church was probably started by some of the, the people who were at Pentecost, like who were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came and everyone began to speak in, in a language that was not of their own uh, native tongue, and then they went back home, this church was probably started by people who came back from Jerusalem, and they were like, you guys are never going to guess what happened when we were there for the festival of, of Pentecost. And so that was probably what happened. That's probably where this church got its start. Uh, Paul came in at some point, and he himself trained these elders. Paul trained their elders. Okay? So this church was set up to succeed really well. One of their pastors was a guy by the name of Timothy, who we have a book about him. Uh, actually, we have two of them. And so like, there's some really stunningly historic leadership in this church, in this city, that was a really kind of a, a really dark and difficult place to be. A lot of wealth. Uh, a, there was a giant uh, temple in this, in this uh, city that people would travel from all over to worship at this temple. And all the forms of worship cost money. And so there was uh, just, just a lot of wealth and a lot of idolatry that happened. And you had this little church of Christians that had been trained really well. But they were living a gospel that made no sense in the culture around them. No sense at all. And so Paul writes them a letter, the book of Ephesians. And later on, John finds himself on this island and he has this vision that God gives him. And Jesus says, I want you to write a letter to, seven, to those seven churches. And this is the first one that we get to. And um, so this is kind of this assessment of the life of this church. And so the first thing that I want us to hear is I want us to be encouraged by uh, the things that we see happening with them um, in the very beginning. Look at the first couple of verses. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. When he says, I know your works, and then he begins to, to like, uh, tell them specifically the works that he knows about. Your toil and patient endurance and Cannot bear with those who are evil. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. The encouragement should come in this active presence of Jesus with his church. 
So when he says, I know your works, I know that you have been enduring, I know that you have been hanging in there, I know that you've been guarding the gate, I, I, I know that you have been doing this and this and this and this. He's not saying, I heard it, I heard about this, and I just wanted to encourage you guys because I heard through the grapevine about it. He's saying, no, I know, I know this, I have firsthand knowledge of this. And that's because of what it says in verse 1. So it says, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. So the angel is not talking about, you know, like, it's not like uh, above the manger scene kind of angel. Or like this is understood to mean a messenger. It could be the, it's probably the pastor or pastors of the church. The messenger, who brings the words of God to the people. It's probably talking about the, the pastor. So he's saying, write a letter to the pastor and from the pastor will encompass the whole church. So the letter goes to the pastor. And then it says the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. So what does, it, what does that mean? At the end of chapter 1, uh, it explains who the stars are. Uh, you don't have to, this won't be on the screen. But uh, a part of the vision is here's Jesus holding these seven stars in his hand. In verse 20 of chapter 1, it says that the stars you saw in my right hand... And the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So what's he doing with the stars? He's holding them in his hand. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Who's he holding in his hand? The pastors of the churches. The leaders of the churches. If you want to get really really like, like uh, liberal with an understanding, he's holding the people of the churches. So whatever brings you comfort to know that in Jesus' right hand, he's holding on to the, to the people of the churches. He's holding on to his people. He's holding on to his pastors, to his elders. He's holding on to them. That there is authority and there is security and there is a goodness there. And verse 20 says that the lampstands are the churches themselves. And what does it say that he's doing in verse 1? He's walking among the seven golden lampstands. So Jesus is saying, okay, I've got your pastors here in my hand, and I'm walking among the golden lampstands. I'm, I'm walking among the churches. I'm walking among the people. That when you go and you have breakfast on the levee, I'm walking around at breakfast on the levee being like, oh, hash browns today. Nice. You know? Being like, hey, we should probably make more coffee next time because it's really cold and, and they, they really like coffee. Or, oh, there is more coffee. Awesome, there's more coffee. Great. That when we take an offering for hope of life and we're singing or writing prayers, he's saying, I agree with that prayer, I agree with that prayer, I agree with that prayer, I agree with that prayer. I'm going to bless that money. I'm going to bless those kids. I'm going to bless that whole thing. That when we're here and we're singing, that he's not elsewhere. He's here. And he's got me. And he's got you. He's got our elders and our staff and our community group leaders and our ministry team leaders and everyone in the groups and everyone on the teams and everyone in the room. And he's walking around and he's saying, yeah. Grace that's greater than all your sin. It's greater than that. You're not too far gone. There's nothing out there that I can't cover. You better believe what's on that screen. You need to sing that part louder. Uh, you, you, I won't point. You, you need to listen to what's being sung. 
You need to listen to all these people around you who have hope for you when you don't have it. He has first-hand knowledge because he's with us, walking with us. That he loves Advent and he loves Lent and he, he loves the 30 days of prayer and he loves your community group and he loves your community group leaders and he, he loves what is happening. He has first-hand knowledge of this stuff and we have got to be encouraged that we are not winging it. Sometimes it probably feels that way to you and some, some of that is just some like quirky like leadership things maybe on my part or whatever. But we aren't winging it. Because we're held in his hand and he's walking among us. And when we ask him, Lord, what do we, what do, we do about this? He's like, well, I, I know what's going on because I'm walking among this lampstand. And I'm holding uh, the people and the leaders in my hands. And so, um, here's what needs to happen with this particular situation or, or this thing. you know. And, and we're saying, God, we... We really want to be in a permanent location. We want to be able to, to do some things and this and this and this. And he's like, I know you do. I know, I know your heart. I know what you want. And I have a plan for that. And right now the plan is 630 Richland Avenue, 5 p.m. on Sundays. That's where it is. I've blessed you with this. And whatever's next, I know what it is because I've got you and I'm walking among you. And I haven't forgotten and I haven't heard through the grapevine. I have firsthand knowledge of what's going on, and he has an opinion on the positive things, and he also has an opinion on the maybe not so positive things, but he's always right. In all of these letters, he's weighing in with these churches saying, I know about this, and I know about this, and I, I, I love this about what you're doing, and I don't love this about what you're doing. And some churches get really positive ones, and some churches get really negative ones, and some have a mix. But Jesus has an opinion about living hope, and he's right <laughs> And so we just keep asking him. And when he says, do this, we need to do that. And when he says, don't do this, we need to not do that. And when we don't know what to do, we need to like, be standing before him saying, Lord, we don't know what to do, but like, show us. We've been talking for a while. Like, are, are, you, are you leading us to plant a church in Zachary? Well, guess what? He's walking among us with us in his hand, and he knows what to do with that. And he's going to keep leading us. We just need to keep asking. Whatever it is, all the way across the board, that encouragement needs to be deep within us um, because he knows what has happened. He knows what is happening. He knows what is ahead. And he'll lead us perfectly. And so in our elder meetings from time to time, we talk about this, and it's so comforting. It's so comforting to know that the role that the elders play, the staff plays, that different leaders play, that everyone in the church plays, that ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not ours. That I'm not the one walking around your lives, holding you in my hand, weighing in with my opinions, that I am being held. And the one who's the only opinion that matters is ready to weigh in on our lives. And I love the fact that he looks at us and he is... he really, really loves some things that are going on. And he's excited about things that are happening. He's seen us and watched us grow and some of the not-so-great things going on. Yeah, he's, he's not into that stuff, but he's ready to lead us you know, through it. And he's just good to us. And so I hope that we can be encouraged. We can hear that encouragement to know that he's got us. He's got 
uh, your pastors. He's got your leaders. He's got you, whatever you want to think about that. But he's holding us with authority. And he's walking among us. And he has a deeper investment in living hope than any of us do. Like, died for us kind of investment. And so if, if for him to die for us, do you think he's going to, for a second, stop leading us? There's no, there's no way. So as we look ahead at a new year, whatever that year holds, it's not a surprise to him. We just need to follow him faithfully. So, hearing his encouragement, that's one thing. Second thing is hearing his honesty. And this is where the, this is the tough part of the letter for them. Um, look at verse 4. It says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So he's like, I know all these great things and all these things are going on. And I'm really, really into this. But here's, here's something I have against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Which is not to say that, you know, he's like, well, I used to be in first place in your life, and now I'm in like fourth place in your life. It's, it's not that. He's talking about that, that quality of love. He's, he's talking about the, the sort of, and I, I hesitate to use, you know, marriage analogies and stuff, because I think they come up short, uh, of course. But it's the closest thing maybe we can, can have. But it's like that kind of newlywed kind of love. You know, it's, it's before, um, before all the other stuff of life, you know. Before the for better or for worse becomes better and worse, you know, that kind of thing. Like, it's just, it's what you would think that, that sort of, like, honeymoon initial kind of, like, just adoration and, and, and passion. And uh, he's like, he's like you, you, you used to love me, like, a, just a lot. And now you have, you have... Abandon that love. That's a harsh word. <laughs> Abandoned. Like, raise your hand if you if your parents ever forgot you in a grocery store or something. Come, coming up. Come on, it's okay. You can move past it. It's fine. I got left one time, and it was just like my parent, like the other one. They both thought the other one had me, and it was at this this business that we owned, and I was in like the back room, and. Uh, they uh, also the lights go off, and I had to like kind of feel my way forward because this was you know we didn't have phones in the eighties, um, and so I had to, like you know, I was like literally like on the ground like crawling not to bump into stuff, and I finally kind of get toward a lighted hallway, and I come out, and it's like completely dark, and I'm locked in like I can't get out, and I'm like uh, okay, and I like walk and look out, and there's like dad like driving away, I'm, like okay, uh, you know pre cell phone pre whatever, so I was like all right, what so what do I do and. Uh, I was like, well, I'll call home. So I called home, and nobody was there. So I was like, okay, I'll leave a message. So I left a message. It was like, hello, this is Josh, uh, your oldest, firstborn. Um, and I got, y'all left me. And so I need somebody I need to ride because I'm 10. And so, uh, yeah, and they came back, and they felt bad, you know, whatever. But that wasn't, I wasn't abandoned, you know. They just miscommunicated and, and whatever, and stuff happens, but... Abandonment is much more, much, that's harsh, you know. And I don't mean to make light of this, and this may have happened to you or someone that you know, but like abandonment is like the baby carriage thing, knock on the firehouse door and run away kind of thing. Like that's abandonment. Um, uh, abandonment is intentional, you know. It's, uh, it's, 
Like that word in the Bible is used other places to talk about something being left. But not like, for, like oh, I left my phone at home. Like, no, no, I'm going to leave my phone at home. It's different. So Jesus is saying, you've done all these great things, but yet, as you are doing these really great things, you've looked at me and you've said, I don't need you like I used to need you. We're, we're fine. You know, when we were a little baby church, we kind of needed you a little bit more, but now we, we know how to guard the gate. We hate the Nicolaitans just like you do. We know how to test apostles. We know the good works. We know all these kind of things. We're fine. And I don't think that that's us. You know, I don't think that the takeaway for uh, for our church is that kind of rebuke, because I don't feel like this needs. I don't feel like Jesus would rebuke us, but I do think we need to pay attention to how important this is to our Lord, like to our chief shepherd, to the one who's holding uh, our pastors in his right hand and walking among us and guiding us. How important love is to him. He's essentially saying you're doing a lot of things, but you're not doing it from, like, from me and from your love for me. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul tells them, when you do all these things but you don't have love, they're, they're like a, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And what does that do? That distracts you from what's going on. So if I'm reading from the scriptures and Chase is sitting in the drum thing just like cranking on a cymbal the whole time, it's going to be kind of hard to like get the beauty of, of the psalm that I'm reading or whatever. Because you're going to be so distracted by that. And so for a church to do all these great things, but for it to not be because they love Jesus with everything they have, it's distracting the people that they're serving and it's distracting them from the main thing which is Jesus. And so he's saying, you know, I have this against you. You've, you abandoned me. You've walked away from me. And that crushes our Savior. And so for us, I don't, I don't even for a second believe that you can just say, and that's exactly where this church is. Jesus can paint the church in Ephesus with one brush. But there's too much going on in this room for anyone to say that about living hope. But there's probably some of us who maybe would be like, "Uh, that might kind of be me a little bit. We prayed before the the service tonight during elder-led prayer, and I talked about a spectrum. And Maybe on one end of a spectrum, there's some of you who have, you've literally, like you've never Love Jesus more than you do right now. Like you can just hardly contain it. Like just like you're you're emotional about him. You there's this adoration that's there. You you just feel close to him. And men, I know that sometimes sometimes we have kind of a block, you know, about that because Jesus is another dude, and we've been like convinced by growing up in America that you. That affection for another guy is like taboo or something. So I understand that sometimes we sing songs that are a little, little too you know, touchy-feely for you in regard to Jesus. Like you like God a little bit more, you know. But men and women alike, 
There's this newlywed love for Jesus that we're invited to, called to, even commanded to do. And maybe some of you are there, like you're just like, I don't know what it is, but this, this is as close to the Lord as I've ever felt, and I love it, and I never want to leave it, this place. And then maybe the other end of the spectrum is, maybe you're here and you're like, no, I've abandoned him. I've said, no, you stay there. I'm going to go elsewhere, and I really don't want anything to do with you. And you think, well, why would anyone like that come to church? Well, because when you stop coming to church, people come and find you. And so, you know, you're like, oh, I'm going to keep going because I don't really want people in my business. But if we're, I was going to be honest with you, I left Jesus on the doorstep of the fire station. You know, so Maybe that's the other end of the spectrum. But then the thing about spectrum is there's like all this sliding room in between. And sometimes when it comes to... Like, to loving Jesus, we can complicate it a lot. And by we, like, I really, I mean, not just, like, we Christians, but I think, like, we, the church, can complicate it. And so, like, as a pastor, as someone who is being held in the right hand of the one who walks among this lampstand, I'm, I'm trying all the time... Like as an individual, along with the other elders, along with Meg, as uh, you know, and she and I being on staff, and, and we talk about these things, and the elders talk about these things, and the elders and staff talk about these things, and we talk to, to leaders, we talk to people who are not leaders, we talk to people all the time, and, and there is this deep desire to just live a full life in Christ. But sometimes when when you're like, okay, so I need to... I need to ask for his input on uh, time and money and marriage and kid, like and parenting to the different kids and my neighbors and my coworkers and uh, forgiveness in broken relationships and I gotta confess sin because I gotta be holy through all that and trying to make some big decisions, so I need Jesus to weigh in on that, and uh, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are, so I need him to tell me that, and I want to serve in the church, but I can't, I don't know if I have time for it, and, and you know, I'm trying to do this, and I'm trying to do this, and trying to decide this, I, I need this, I don't know this, and, and so it's like we're constantly having all these things to where our relationship with Jesus, a lot, it's so easy for him to just become like this advisor, you know, like if you have like a financial advisor or like a personal trainer, like someone like, hey, you're an expert at this. Tell me what to do and, and like just help me, help me, you know. And so when we're in this grind where we're, we really like we want Jesus's input on things, um, it's it's easy. Like a long time ago, God gave me a very clear word. And I've talked about it before when he's like, hey, I'm not a magic eight ball. You know, like, you can't just, like, shake me up and, like, see what rises to the surface. And, like, that's not what I'm here for. I'm not just here to tell you what to do. I mean, I'll tell you what to do, but, I'm, but that's not it. But sometimes when it seems like through, through church or through community group and through our own, like, readings and everything, like, you want Jesus to guide every aspect of your life. And it's so easy to get to where you just go to him because you need stuff. You need stuff. You need stuff. And when that happens... That's not love, you know, like that's, that's supply 
only. That's not the relationship that we see. That's not the, that's not the relationship that we want. That's not the relationship that we had when we first came to know him. And it's not that our intentions are bad. It's, it's, it's not that we have, are, are like intentionally sinning. We're not abandoning him, but we're definitely not like newlywed love for him. We're, we're somewhere kind of in the middle. And sometimes you hear people who've been married for a while describe their marriage as it's like, yeah, it's like, kind of like we're just roommates now. And how heartbreaking is that for a marriage? But how devastating is that toward our Savior? And so, hearing his honesty with this church, he's telling them, hey, you've abandoned me. It can't be that way. It's that important. He goes on to say, if things don't change, I'm going to remove your lampstand. Like I'm, You're going to not be a church anymore. And go to Ephesus right now and see if you can find First Baptist Ephesus. You can't. <laughs> Country's 96% Muslim. It ain't happening. And it's not a threat. You know, like it's not one of those things where it's like, we better change or else God's going to... It's not that. Can we hear his honesty and saying, you need to understand how important the love you had at first is. He's saying, if I can read between the lines for a second, I created you for that love you had at first. From that, I will, I'll guide you. I'll answer your prayers. I'll lead you. I'll supply all of your need. Like everything that you need is fine. But it comes from the love you had at first. It's that important. And the scary thing about that spectrum is that if you're kind of in the middle, it only heads toward abandonment. That's the trajectory. The beautiful part is that no one is too far to this end of the spectrum that they cannot be brought back to this end of the spectrum. Grace that is greater than some of our sin. No, all of our sin. Like everything, His grace covers this whole spectrum. And so to them, you know, He says, like the words are very specific. In verse 5, He says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. In other words, remember what that was like. Then He says, Repent and do the works you did at first. So remember what that was like. Repent, like uh, change the way that you think. Like, make it up in your mind of, like, I don't want to be on this spectrum in any other place except the furthest extreme this way. Repent and do the works you did at first. Now, some of you are thinking, maybe that time of life was, like, in college or, or in high school or maybe, like, when you were, like, first married or something, like, you're kind of in your early 20s or whatever that looks like. And you're like, yeah, but life can't look like that now. Yeah, yeah. When it's just you and Jesus, there you have no other uh, responsibilities. You're not committed to anyone else. Everything. It's so much easier, I guess. So college students, cherish this, okay? And yeah, if you get married, that's going to that's gonna change some things. If you have kids, that's going to change some things. And, and jobs and moving. And there's all kinds of things that change things. But it doesn't change Jesus at all. And he, the love you had at first... 
will lead you in how to do the works you did at first, even given the different circumstances that you have. And so for us, I don't know where you might fall on there, and there's probably a bunch of differences around the room. I think he is beckoning to us. You know, I think he's calling to us. And to some, he's saying, hey, you've and I have never been closer, and that's just going to continue. Like, don't move from here. And then further down the spectrum, I think the question from him becomes, hey, do you miss me? You know, like, do you, do you miss the love you had at first? Do you miss being able to just sing or just pray or just tear up at the thought of the cross, you know? Not that it's about emotion, but you know what I'm saying. Because do don't you just love him? I mean, don't you, don't you just adore him? And there's a part of you that still does, no matter how far this way you've gone. And even if you're at the other extreme... He tells this church they've abandoned him, and then he tells them, repent, remember what that was like, and do what you did at first. It's an invitation back toward this end. And I think that that's what he is calling us to, wherever you might be. I think that there is a stirring that he has brought, uh, that he is, has brought and is bringing into us that we can do like the need to do everything from that love that he's encouraged us cuz he's just like look I know what's going on and I want to be honest with you this is vital to how you were created so figure out where you are on the spectrum not that you have to use the spectrum but figure out where you are don't assume and don't settle and don't think, well, one day when things slow down, where I'll make my way back down the road to sin. He doesn't know. He's like, no, now. I can show you how to live that love you had at first kind of life right now, no matter what's going on. And so I don't know where, where that would fit in with you, but the 30 days of prayer starts on Saturday. And real quick, here's how it's going to work. This year, we're not going to ask him for a building We're not going to ask him for anything. We're not going to give you something to try and discern about his voice or his leadership. We're not going to, it's not going to be about your neighbors. It's not going to be about the city. It's not going to be about the church. It's not going to be about living hope in any way, shape, or form. All we're going to do every day for 30 days, if you want to be a part of it, is we're going to have something about Jesus we're going to think about, and then we're just going to tell him how awesome he is. That's it. And so there may be a day when we're like, okay, so here, so Jesus is your um, perfect, sinless shepherd, and you are a sheep, and you have nothing to worry about in your entire life other than following him and doing whatever it is he says. And you just think about that, and then the prayer part is going to be like, thank him. Just tell him how awesome that is and how grateful you are that that's your reality, and that's it. It's 30 days of prayer, but it's going to be those prayers that just go from like us to him. 
So if you don't like trying to like discern or hear God's voice, and that make, makes you worry or all that stuff stresses you out, just for a month, all we're going to do is just shower, shower him with affection and love and gratitude and see what happens. See how much further down the spectrum we can work as a church, no matter where we are. It's going to be simple, but i got to think that after a month of just telling him how much we love him, we probably will love him more. I hope. I think that he's excited about it. I think he's like, I love to hear good things about me. And I love it when my children are like, oh, no, we, we get this, and we're grateful, and we thank you for it. Last thing, real, real fast, is to hear his promise. So he said, look, I've got your, your pastor in my right hand. I'm walking among you. I know all these things firsthand. You're doing all these really great things. But there's this one thing I have against you. You've left me on the doorstep of the firehouse. You've abandoned that love you had at first. You have got to get back to that point. And here's how you do it. Remember what that was like. Ask me to help you like, change your thinking, and I'll lead you back down the spectrum as you do the things you used to do, which is where the 30 days is coming from for us. Do the things you used to do. Tell him how awesome he is every single day. And so maybe, maybe if we're caught up in asking him for stuff all the time, we forget to tell him how great he is, so we're just going to tell him how great he is. And maybe that's what they should have done or whatever. And he says, look, this is so important that if, if you keep heading down that spectrum, uh, if you go past the end of that abandonment and you keep going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remove your lampstand because you're misrepresenting who I am in the city. And so this is a heavy word for them. But it shouldn't be a heavy word for us. It should be an encouraging word filled with honesty. And then he tells them this at the very end. Look at verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He, he takes their gaze and helps point their gaze forward to the paradise of God. He says, hey, don't, don't forget where the conquering victory of Jesus and that love that he has for you and you have for him. Don't, don't forget where that trajectory lands you. He says, I, I will help you endure all the way to the end. That you can make it. I promise to be with you the whole way. That that love you had at first, I can, I can restore that. We can restore that. You don't have to miss me anymore. I can teach you how to be that way where you are in your life right now. And I'll keep doing that until you die. And after death, what happens? We're with him forever. It's like you have all these light and momentary troubles. You have all this garbage that you drudge through in life. But it has a landing point. And he has promised it to us. And so these churches should receive this great encouragement. But he's among us. He loves us enough to affirm the great things. And he loves us enough to correct us on the not so good things. And he's going to keep doing that holding us, walking among us, leading us, guiding us, shepherding us, being our prophet, being our priest, being our king, all the way until the end. And we're going to be hanging out around that tree in paradise forever. 
Do not forget that. That this is not the end. And so the church in Ephesus probably had some, they had a little you know, discussion that needed to happen. But for us, can we, can we just be encouraged by his presence among us? And can we be drawn in that beckoning voice of his honesty of saying, hey, that love you had at first, that's, let's do that. And let's do that not just in 2017, let's do that until, until we're together on the new earth forever and we won't have to battle our way through that anymore. Can we see the wholeness of his love for his church and for this church, like for our church? We can personalize it. Like he loves you and he loves me and he loves us. And he wants to lead us in that kind of perfect and beautiful way. And so I don't, I don't know what stands out to you the most. Maybe you're super encouraged by his presence with us. Maybe you need to do some assessing in regard to his honest call to that first love. Or maybe for you, you're just like, I just need to be reminded that this ain't it. We're not done. That he will sustain us to the end. Or maybe it was a song, or maybe it was something else for tonight, but we're going to respond to him the way that we do together on Sundays. And the, the, like Every response is a response to the grace of God, him saying, this is what you need, do you want it? And so he's given us a tangible way to do that, and that's through communion. And so if you're a Christian, you don't have to be a member of this church to be a part of this communion time, but Jesus stands and offers you his body and his blood. Tonight it'll be Adam Iglesias, so he'll be playing the role of Jesus tonight. Uh, but Jesus is the one holding this, holding this out to you, and by stepping to the table, you're saying, I, I need the sinless life of my Savior, and I need the blood shed for the forgiveness of my sins. I need the new covenant that he's offering, and he holds it out to you, and you say, yes, I need that. He's like, yeah, you do. Here. And you'll tear the bread off yourself. It's gluten-free, so tear away. You'll tear it off yourself, and Adam will say, the body of Christ broken for you, so that this can be real. And then you'll dip it in the juice, and he'll say, the blood of Christ poured out for you, so this can be real, to bring you to God. And so you're invited into the communion line, you're invited to come and pray here, you can stay and sing as you like, Um, but let's respond in faith believing the things that Jesus is saying to us through the scriptures and through his presence among us. Let's stand together as I pray for us and we'll, we'll respond for a few minutes before we go.